It is Thursday, September 29th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. Aaron Judge finally hits home run number 61. And we've got Thursday night football to preview Dolphins and the Bengals. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. Welcome into Straight Out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Aaron Judge hits number 61. How long till he hits 62? The Chargers get some injury news. Joey Bosa having surgery. He's headed to IR. And the Dolphins and Bengals face off tonight on Prime. What is the Vegas lead? It's Aaron Judge and tying history. Aaron Judge, home run number 61. AJ tying Roger Maris for the most in American League history in a single season. Maris did it 61 years ago. How about that number? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, by the way, that hmm, you hear that is Mr. Steve Fezzik who joins us uh, here for Thursday morning. We're going to have his take on Thursday night football tonight. Steve, how are you? I was told there'd be beer and pizza. You can't have beer and pizza. Yeah, it's it's 4 a.m., Fez. I don't know what you're trying to uh, get into here. We don't have beer and pizza at 4 a.m. But his Mm -hmm. weight loss bet. With Todd, he can't have any of that. If you want it, we'll get it. You can like. You want donuts it? next time? In 33 days, when I'm 180, <laughs> donuts. I, I bring it all. Okay. Yes. Well, you be able to. Uh, we'll see how long you can stay below 185. Uh, yeah, this home run for Aaron Judge. I think it's a weight lifted off his shoulders. Oh, I, absolutely. I, there is no doubt that he's been the last few days. He, he's been pressing a little bit. Mm-hmm. He, well, I shouldn't say he's been pressing. He's, his approach has been different. And we talked about this on yesterday's show. He's been more selective. He even walked in his first at bat again last night, and and that's what he's been doing. He's been waiting for his pitch that he could drive out of the ballpark. He wasn't necessarily going with pitches. He wasn't coming up to the plate thinking, I'm going to slap this outside pitch to right field. No, he was looking for his home run pitch, and if he didn't get it, he was taking the walks. Yeah, and he'd gone seven games without a home run uh, and walked in his first A.B. tonight, popped out in his second A.B., grounded out in his third, and you could have said, well, another one of those nights where he's just he's he's approaching it differently and finally gets one in the seventh inning with a runner on, and the Yankees, uh, the Yankees leadoff man hits number 61. It's funny to say leadoff man. Yep, and the home run was hit off of Tim Meza. So we will remember Tim Mays' no, we won't. name until the 62nd until home run. the 62nd yeah. home run is hit. Here's and how it sounded on the Yes Network. And the 3-2. Joe deep to left field. This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history and now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs. The most anybody has ever hit in a single season in American League history. Side note to this game, the Yankees win 8-3. to I don't know that anyone cares anymore about well, they've the, already clinched the, the results of the games. They don't really matter at they this point. They had a backup lineup in tonight. Anthony Rizzo helped Aaron Boone manage this game. and But for anybody that wanted to fade the Yankees after clinching, 
Not so much because uh, Garrett Cole pitched well. He threw six and a third of three-run ball, gave up another home run, the home run ball. That's That might come to hurt the Yankees when Garrett Cole pitches come uh, October baseball, but the Yankees do get the win. And the Astros lose, so there's still hope for the Yankees to be the one seed. Uh-huh, so there's still something to play for. And we talked yesterday about the, uh, yeah. the the under and that Zach Gallen, Justin Verlander. Yes. Four runs scored in the first five innings. Well, two were scored in the first, and then two in the bottom of the fifth on a Chase McCormick oh. two-run home run. So imagine that. It's 2 nothing, and then Zach Gallen gives up a two-run home run to McCormick, and the first five over hits. Was, and it, then was it three and a quarter? Or three, three and a half. Three, yeah. yeah, and then three runs get scored in the 10th inning, mm-hmm. and the Diamondbacks win 5-2. to two. So uh, that's what baseball looks like tonight. But Aaron Judge, the story, no one cares who won the game. That's mm-hmm. 61. So now the question comes, when does it happen? You mentioned the weight lifted off his shoulder. Judge echoed those sentiments after the game. Definitely some relief uh, getting to 61. You know, you try not to think about it, but it creeps into your head. Well, AJ, where, where when is he going to hit it? Roger Maris Jr. thinks it's going to happen ASAP. Um, I, I don't think it's going to take very long. <laughs> yeah, I think he's loose. I think the party last night, the celebration, I think loosened him up. And uh, after he hit that home run and came to bat the next time, uh, you could just see his face. I mean, he's just, you know, he got up and hit another seed. You know, it's just, you can tell he's back and he's, he's ready to go now, I think. So I think, uh, I think it'll happen in New York. And uh, that's where you want it to happen. That's where I want it to happen. I think the city of New York deserves it. The fans deserve it. I think it'll be great for baseball if it happens in New York. And like what I mentioned to Aaron, I said, you know, get to New York and hit 62 and you know, knock, the, knock the top off Yankee Stadium because it's going to be fun, you know. Audio courtesy of the Yes Network. So it's nice to hear Roger Maris Jr. be like so uh, graceful in all of this. Like well, I, you remember there were people who were like uh, – I guess the times have come and gone where people get mad about these records being broken, but like Babe Ruth's family didn't want the record broken. Mm -hmm. And then Roger Maris, his family certainly didn't want it broken when, when Barry Bonds or or Mark McGuire and Sosa were doing it. It's like, everybody's bitter, but now maybe because it's Yankee on Yankee crime. Yes. And because Aaron judge (laughs) is presumed to do this the clean, natural way. So presumed you, there is a much bigger difference in the Maris family reaction now, listen to what Roger Maris Jr. said about the home run record. I think it means a lot, and it's not just for me. I think it means a lot for a lot of people, you know, that uh, he's clean, he's a Yankee, he plays the game the right way, and, uh, you know, I think it gives people a chance to look at somebody who, uh, you know, should be revered for hitting 62 home runs and not just as a, a guy who did it in the American League. He should be revered for, you know, being the actual single-season home run champ. I mean, that's really who he is if he hits 62, and uh, and I think that's what needs to happen. I think baseball needs to look at the records, and I think baseball should do something. I think it means a lot, and it's not just for... Audio, once again, courtesy of the Yes Network. So, Roger Maris Jr. says that Judge should be considered... The single season all time leader. We'll agree to disagree, Raj. I'm with you, AJ. And <laughs> I Fez, saw it. I, I saw it with my eyes. Yeah, that well, that's where I stand, and I don't know where you stand, Fez. For me, and this might be an unpopular opinion, I don't care what anybody took because you had steroid hitters going up against steroid pitchers, and steroids don't make you a better baseball player. You don't just take steroids and hit 70-somewhat home runs. You still have to put the work in. Barry Bonds, I I give this stat all the time, that 
people are just amazed by. There was one year where he was intentionally walked more times than he swung and missed the baseball. He very rarely swung the bat and did not make contact with the baseball. He is one of the greatest baseball players of all time. I don't care that he took steroids. I saw it with my own eyes, like you said, AJ. He's the single-season home run leader. I hate to be wimpy about this, but I see both sides. I mean, let's face it, Barry Bonds, too. I don't know if I'd recognize him if I had known Barry Bonds won. You know, it's a little svelte. Barry Bonds or... failed zero steroid tests in his career. Is it normal for a forehead to grow three inches? I don't know. In I'm not age? a doctor, Fez. I'm Me not neither. a doctor. Hey, my neck is, you wouldn't recognize it. Exactly. Look at you a ago. year ago to now. There you look go. like a totally different person. Yep. Who am I to I talk love, about this? Remember the Barry Bonds press conference when uh, he was like sitting on the steps or something? And he's like, just tired. Tired of you. You. You, 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 and you. And he's pointing at all the media members. Oh, I love like, it. Asking questions. I, <laughs> it's funny. Maybe the thing, some of the things about Barry Bonds that endears him to me is probably some of the stuff that keeps him out of the Hall of Fame because these old head baseball writers, they, they didn't like it. Well, what's going to happen? Well, that's it. I mean, the eligibility is going to yeah. run out, and then maybe it's just going to be up to like, the Veterans Committee eventually to put some of these guys in. Or he could unretire for a day. And Well, that's what that's the joke <laughs> on uh, the Sunday Night Baseball broadcast a couple of days ago. Alex Rodriguez was joking, hey, maybe we should uh, just unretire get one at bat each and reset the clock for another five Good move. Good move. (laughs) Uh, But congratulations to Aaron Judge. And now the Yankees will have three games in the Bronx coming up against the Baltimore Orioles where Judge will have an opportunity to hit 62 in front of the home fans. What's the level of disappointment if he stays stuck at 61? It'll be a bummer. It kind of will be, right? Because we've made such a big deal of it. And I mean, listen, they were... They were cutting into college football games to show Aaron Judge at bats. Which was, I don't know if the cross-marketing is as nearly as strong as they think. I, I don't think so. I don't think, like, listen, most college football fans, they don't care about baseball, and they certainly don't care about the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it does seem odd. Maybe this stops now that he's at least gotten to 61. No, I, I think it, once he gets it ramps 62, up. yeah. And, and here's the thing. He just went through a seven-game drought there's seven games left in the season. So it's possible. I don't think that he goes through another seven-game drought. This is a guy who hits a home run every 2.5 games or whatever it is. So I think that he's going to hit one. It'll probably come here in the three-game series in the Bronx. That short portion right field. He'll have a nice swing. The ball will be a line drive out to right for home run number 62. And we'll let you know who the pitcher is coming up in the look-ahead that may have that 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 lucky draw to face Aaron Judge and give up number 62. I wonder those tickets by the way for these 3 games at Yankee Stadium to sit in right field short porch or to sit in the short left field uh you know lower section in the secondary market's got to be skyrocketing right now. It's a lottery ticket. Yeah. I mean whatever you pay for it it's you're hoping that you catch this ball that's worth millions. I think they projected that the 61st home run ball, which nobody caught, it landed in the Yankee bullpen, so nobody got to catch the baseball. It'll go to the Hall of Fame or whatever. Or to Aaron Judge. Or to Aaron Judge. The 61st home run ball was projected to be around 2 to $3 million. The 62nd, upwards of $5 million. So, Which is funny because it, it, if you remember this story, the guy who caught Mark McGuire's home run ball, number 62, uh, he basically, they were negotiating and it was like a bat and a, a signed Jersey and he wanted to meet 
Mark McGuire, and Mark McGuire said no thanks. So the guy backed out of the deal and then two weeks later sold the ball for $3 million. Good for him. I think, I mean, it's the right move. Well, <laughs> there was the famous, I mean, we, if you watch the movie 61, you know the story about how Roger Maris let the guy keep the ball and sell it and, and, and make money. He didn't want it back. Yeah. So Aaron Judge, the chase for 62 is on beginning here on Friday. We'll stick in Major League Baseball because the National League East race is on. The Mets did get a win last night. The Braves lost, however, to the Nationals. So the Mets have a one-game lead in the NL East heading into a pivotal three-game series in Atlanta beginning on Friday. Atlanta, there is a risk here, though, because of Hurricane Ian, weather concerns, the Braves unwilling to relocate this game as of right now. According to reports, the Mets were willing to move yesterday's game to a 4 p.m. start instead of a 7 p.m. start and then play a Thursday night game in Atlanta. So moving up game one of the series from Friday to Thursday just to beat the weather and get a game in, the Braves declined. They said no. There is discussions about possibly playing Friday's game during the day, but that won't be decided until the weather report gets clearer throughout the day here on Thursday. Okay. I mean, do you think it's unreasonable for the Braves to pass on this? To sell out. You know, you, you think about all the refunds they'd have to yeah. give to their fans if the game gets rescheduled or if it gets moved up to a day. I mean, think about all the logistics that go into anytime there's a doubleheader. And you have to honor tickets for another entry, or you do it, especially if you do a, a single entry doubleheader, which is rare now. But there's so many things that go into rainouts and rescheduling. And we talked about this on yesterday's show, AJ. The Major League Baseball season was delayed because of the lockout. Yeah. So the schedule's pushed back as it is. There's no time to make up these games. And so they have to get these games in. And for the Braves and the Mets, they're lining up their pitching rotation for this. The Mets are going to start Jacob DeGrom on Friday against the Braves. It's going to be DeGrom, Scherzer, and Chris Bassett in that order. The Braves lining up their pitching rotation, sending out their studs against the Mets, where it's going to be Freed, it's going to be Kyle Wright, it's going to be Charlie Morton. So maybe they felt at a disadvantage if you move the game up because it would mess with their pitching rotation. That's the only explanation I can give I mean, for why they were like, right? not happening. What happens if these games get rained out? Doubleheader on Sunday. Hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. If one of these games get rained out, you have a double dip on Sunday. The season ends on Wednesday, October 5th. That's the last game. The Mets will play three games against the Marlins. Uh, or excuse me, the Braves will play three games against the Marlins. The Mets, I believe, end the season with three games against the Nationals. So they both end on Wednesday, October 5th. I guess you could play one game if you needed on that Thursday, October 6th, but the, the 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 wild card series starts on the 7th. So whichever team loses has to play the wild card series the next day. Yeah. This would, could be a logistical nightmare no doubt. if would, weather comes into play. Would MLB not be able to step in and say, if there was a couple rainouts, you're going to play doubleheader Monday, and then you're going to have to play a doubleheader on the last day of the season Wednesday? Now you're messing up with the, the, the Nationals and the Marlins. I think what happens you is that I, I, think yeah. the, I think the playoffs just get pushed back. 
They'd have to push back the wild card series. I think, I oh. think that's a possibility. But, but then that pushes back the dates for all the all the series. I think it could condense the dates for all the series because remember, they, there's a lot of times where they, they take two days off between so they, games. They're not. They're already. Days. They're already playing. My understanding when the when they go to five game series, they're they're already planning to play games three, four, and five yeah. consecutively. Oh well, I, I think that overall you condense the the entire schedule down a little bit. You can make room for these things. There used to be a joke amongst baseball fans, right? When you know a team like the Mets, let's say they only have two good starting pitchers in Degrom and Scherzer, and it'd be like, well, what's the schedule? It's Degrom, Scherzer, and pray for rain. That used to be like <laughs> a joke in baseball terms when you, a team with only had two pitchers. They are praying that there is no rain here because uh, it could wreak havoc on the schedule. Well, the weather would probably be nice in Cleveland early in November. (laughs) Yeah, and the Braves don't want to relocate the games. Uh, Francisco Lindor had a funny quote. He was like, played in Atlanta, played in Japan. It's going to sell out. We're playing for the division title. Who cares? They'll play wherever uh, they want to play. But first pitch is scheduled for Friday, 7.20 p.m. Eastern time uh, in Atlanta. The Mets and the Braves. The Mets go into the series one game up in the National League East standings. All right, let's get into Thursday night football. We kick off week four, the Miami Dolphins at the Cincinnati Bengals. The Dolphins, three-and-a-half-point dogs on the road. The total, 47 and a half. There's some 48s out there. How do you see this game playing out, Scott? Well, first off, we got to find out what's up with Tua. And maybe that picture becomes clearer throughout the day here on Thursday. But he's questionable for this game. With a with back, back injury. Back Quote, unquote, We're all back doing injury. air quotes here. The back spasms. When I have back spasms, I usually reach for my back. I don't like fall over. Oh, you don't just, just collapse. That's just me. Well, it was a nerve that, that oh, was that's, yeah, exactly. yeah. You know, the spinal yeah. nerves going up. Yeah, every, everybody knows dizzy. that. Fez. When you hurt your back, you get dizzy and fall down. For the second time this show, I'm not a doctor. All right, but I'm pretty sure that's a. Back I watched injury. lots of episodes of ER <laughs> growing up in George Clooney. I know what I'm talking about. Well, tell me if you think I'm wrong here. It feels like if a if you if you, and I like the under. I'll just go ahead and say that my best bet for this show is going to be under. 47 and a half in this game. And here's what I'm thinking. First of all, if Tua plays, which is an if, I expect them to have a much more run-heavy script than what they've had this season. So I think that they're going to they're gonna take the air out of the ball. They're not going to try and lean on Tua like he's 100% because he won't be 100%. And then there's it's almost a free roll in the case that he doesn't play. Mm-hmm. And so if he doesn't play, now you've got real value at 47 and a half. How do you see this but is direction? is there real value? Because can't you make the case that Teddy Bridgewater is the most capable backup in the NFL? And would you downgrade the Dolphins' offense that much if Teddy Bridgewater Do you plays? remember Teddy Bridgewater leading a dynamic offense? Like I don't, a, fa- a fast-paced... I don't uh, remember Teddy Bridgewater ever having receiving weapons like he has on this Dolphins team. I think anytime you've got a backup quarterback, the game plan gets safer. Like you, you're not gonna go. Nobody has a backup quarterback that they say, "Hey, go out there and do exactly what the starter does." Everything gets condensed. Everything's tightened up. Pursuant to that, I don't recall New Orleans Saints games with Bridgewater being shootouts. Weren't they like all thirteen to nine grinders by New Orleans grinders? That certainly worked. You know, one concern: if if ever there was a time for the Bengals to run a hurry up offense, it would be against a defense that you know just played ninety plays in the heat and humidity. You know, so that's that, that's certainly it's unlikely with a short week that they'd put in a wrinkle like that. But, you know, it could happen. Let's talk about that, because this number being at three and a half doesn't make a lot of sense. 
Dolphins are three and zero. They just beat the best team in the NFL. The Bengals are one and two. Their offensive line's terrible. Why aren't the Dolphins getting love here, Fez? Yeah, well, in terms of power ratings, you know, pros don't care what the records of teams are. But you're right, directionally, that who's the better team, Miami or Cincinnati? You know what? We could have we could do an entire pod on this. Let's call them comparable. Give Cincinnati two for home field. Bang, we're at Cincinnati minus two. No, we're not. We're at three and a half. So we moved. We actually opened two, and immediately it got bet up to you know three, and then up to three and a half. So what's going on here? Well, it's all situational. It's not just all Tua. It's uh, because I do think Tua is going to likely play. It's the 90 plays that the defense of Miami had to play against Buffalo in the heat and humidity, 100 degrees. Check that box. Really bad for Miami. And it's amazing because also one of the biggest things with Thursday Night Football is the road team being at a disadvantage with the travel. So now we're combining disadvantages for the Miami Dolphins. Exactly. And another disadvantage, check another box, a rookie head coach on the road on Thursday, really bad subset as well. So I'm going to make the case this is the worst situational spot you will see in the NFL all year long. How could any situation get worse than this after the Miami had to go ahead and play in that heat and humidity on Sunday and have that defense out there? But then it becomes the question of, well, how much of an adjustment do we want to make? Now, it sounds... It's a point app. How big is that? Well, let me come over the top and say, since he was minus 140, now they're minus 200. Mm. So instead of thinking about that this is a point and a half line move, think about it as a 60-cent line move. Like in baseball terms, Milwaukee was in a really good situation tonight. Milwaukee was minus 140. Then St. Louis rested a whole lot of people after clinching. It went up to minus 170. It moved 30 cents. This has moved 60. Let's talk about the Bengals quickly because so far the Bengals have – Faced Mitch Trubisky, lost. Cooper Rush, lost. Joe Flacco, won. This is the – Tua, whatever you, whatever you think of him this year, is by far the best quarterback they will have seen this season. What are your expectations for this Bengals defense seeing an offense that's clearly superior to anything they've seen this year? You know, the Bengals really have epitomized the Super Bowl hangover, you know, the Super Bowl loser hangover, that they just have not played well. And even – you could argue they should have beaten Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh still got you know their twenty points, and that offense for Pittsburgh, oof, not looking good at all. No. I know a lot of that turnover driven. Um, you got to wonder, are the Bengals going to snap out of this? A lot of people feel they are. Or is this just what they are? Their offensive line is no better than it was last year when it was at its worst. Yeah, new pieces, better resumes, same same results, same results. and even though they only got sacked twice, Burrow. He got hit like 10 times last week. That's not a good look. Well, and he only sacked twice, which puts him at, what, 15 for the year through three (laughs) games. So, yeah, twice is a nice week for him. That's good. I don't know. I look at this Bengals team, and, Fez, where have you adjusted them from week one, from preseason? Yeah, so Cincinnati to start the year, you know, this is interesting. I've made no adjustments. Really, yeah. that is interesting. And, and it's I all, would have thought you were a half a point worse. Yeah, it's you know it's all about that Pittsburgh game where they were minus five. Yes, minus five in turnovers, five zero, and they were still lining up to kick the winning extra point and miss a game winning field field goal with McPherson, a very capable kicker. I I can't dock them too much at all for that performance in retrospect, and then. You know, the Dallas loss actually looks better now with Cooper Rush looking to be a competent quarterback. Um, 
you know, you could. I certainly wouldn't argue with someone who who did slightly downgrade Cincinnati. I downgrade them. I would say I would have guessed that you downgraded them a half a point. Uh, I downgraded them. I don't have a point system, but I, I downgraded them. Mm-hmm. And so, you you know, I, I on the dream pot, I've picked the Dolphins a couple times here in the first three weeks. I picked them last week against the Bills. To me, if Tua's hel- if Tua was healthy, and he didn't have the again air quote back injury last week, I'd be on the Dolphins here. It's the only cause for concern for me is the Dolphins on the short week and Tua not 100%. This offense has clicked over the first three weeks. They have certainly taken advantage of the athletic advantage that they have compared to opposing defenses. I I gave the stats out last week when I picked Miami over Buffalo. Tua throwing into tight windows. He's not doing it this year. And it's not because he's making better decisions. It's because his receivers are getting open. Well, speed They're kills. creating You've separation. Got so much speed on that yes. field. And I am concerned with how the Bengals' secondary is going to be able to keep up with the Dolphins' speed, regardless of who's at quarterback. Because you still have to honor Tyreek Hill running a fly route. You still have to honor Jalen Waddell coming across the middle. And if... Mike McDaniel continues to run these wild sets where he's got two running backs on the field at the same time and yet going five wide, Miami's going to find advantages against the defense. So I I get all the disadvantages with with playing on the short week, with coming out of that heat and humidity and the 90 defensive plays that they were on the field for and two have banged up, but with – the respect that I give to the Dolphins, the downgrade that I give to the Bengals, I can't lay the points here with Cincinnati. You know, as far as a line move, I'm going to pull back the curtain to a pro. I have a game that opened minus two, and it's at minus three and a half. All things being equal, I sure wish I had bet it at minus two, actually. Did, and all things being equal, if I had to make a call at three and a half, 95% of the time I would say take the three and a half. Playback, that's if I have to make a bet, but this is the exception of the rule. I just think that the spot just just is is there's just too many things I'm concerned about, and I could see Miami if they get down ten, just saying, you know what, we're three and zero. It's mm-hmm. okay. it's okay. Two is not a hundred percent. Let's make a business decision on this one. Well, let's also consider what's the the Dolphins' defense, what they have done the last couple of weeks. They gave up 473 yards to the Ravens. Luckily, the Ravens' defense was banged up. They couldn't they couldn't keep up at the end. And then last week, they're more than doubled up in yardage by the Bills. I, I think there should be some – and the, the score, you say, oh, they held the Bills to 19 points, but the Bills put up 497 yards of offense. It's going to give us some trepidation about our under, right? The fact that you got back to two, – two of their three games, Miami's given up almost 500 yards. It, it is also six turnover-worthy plays that the Dolphins did not make against Josh Allen. They could have they could have had two pick sixes in that game that the cornerbacks dropped. Then, then what's go I mean what's going on with this Dolphins defense? If you're not making these plays and you're giving up tons of yards, well, what, listen, they still broke up the passes. There's a reason why they're not wide receivers, they're cornerbacks cuz they can't catch. At the end of the day, a quarterback throws 66% for 400 yards. He had a good day against your defense. No matter how many times you it's drop also the, the pick. MVP of the league. Uh, maybe so. But guess what? Joe Burrow's pretty good. I mean, this and Lamar Jackson was pretty good the week before. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, 
Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, none of these guys like don't fit in the in the discussion. So I I I, I do have some concerns about the Dolphins from a defensive standpoint. And this week, I think more than any other week, I've got real concerns about their offense. And I expect their game plan to be drastically different this week offensively than it has been. Let me I, caution everyone. I would, In general, I hate playing teasers other than the Wong teasers where you tease through the corridor of three through seven. If ever there is a game that I would not tease the underdog, this is the game because even though Miami could win. Oh, I, I can see them getting blown out. Miami yeah. could get crushed. Yeah, so I don't no even think this. about teasing Miami up to plus 10 or something comparable because this has a potential being much more likely there's a blood in this game than a typical three-and-a-half-point spread game. There's no result from this game that surprises me. If Miami wins this outright, I'm not surprised. I just gave you all the love that I have on Miami and the anti-Bengal sentiment. That being said, given the situational spot, if Cincinnati wins this by double digits, I'm not shocked. All right, sticking with the NFL, let's go to the L.A. Chargers, who thus far been kind of a disappointment, and the news does not look to be getting better for the L.A. Chargers. No, edge rusher Joey Bosa and left tackle Rashawn Slater both placed on IR yesterday. Bosa suffered a groin tear against the Jaguars. He's undergoing surgery, and that's a huge blow to their defense, but also offensively protecting Justin Herbert, a quarterback who's already injured guys. <laughs> now he loses his left tackle. Yeah. Not, not a good, not what you want to be out there with, with busted ribs looking over and seeing some backup tackle there. You're all pro left tackle done. Uh, not a good sign. Certainly. So I, I think that there's gotta be a major downgrade on this chargers team. Fez, what were the adjustments that you made on the Chargers with all the injuries. So I had the Chargers four points worse than what they were beginning of the year. Now, part of that's injury. Part of that is performance, certainly. But um, going into last week, I had the Chargers well, already with some injuries. Two and a half points better than an average team. Scott, I brought them all the way down to zero. So I made a two and a half point adjustment. Wow. That's, a, that's a point and a half for poor performance. And it's another point for injuries. I now have the Chargers as a dead average team as of this coming week. Do you think I'm too high or too low on them? I will say this. And the Chargers were my Super Bowl pick, one of my Super Bowl picks. They were my AFC Super Bowl pick before the season. Uh, you know, it's, For me, it's, it's the Eagles as the NFC pick. But their win in week one against the Raiders doesn't exactly look like an impressive win when you consider that Vegas has started the season 0-3 and is – possibly headed towards an 0-4 start should they drop this week, this game to Denver and then maybe 0-5 if they lose to the Chiefs the following week. So- and the Chargers were healthy the first half of that game. Then they yes. lost Keenan Allen, didn't mm-hmm. cover the second half. Yep, and Keenan Allen uh, hasn't played. And then they lose that game to the Chiefs, which Herbert gets banged up, even though he looked – he what a, what a fight, what a fighter. That throw that he made, we talked about that to, to no end. But then last week was – Last week was gross. Yeah. That was a disgusting performance. And listen, I, I not think. Not necessarily by the quarterback, just by the entire team. And, and yeah, I think that's what, it, I think everybody was quick to say like, oh, look, look how bad Justin Herbert is this week. Listen, Justin Herbert went out there and given the givens, given what was around him, I think he performed valiantly. Sure. Did he look like vintage Justin Herbert? No. But was he better than what Chase Daniel would have been had Chase Daniel played the game? I think by far. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that. The whole of the Chargers right now is in bad shape. 
and the, and the like if you said where's Justin Herbert's rib injury rank in the problems of the Chargers, I, it might make the top five because some of these other guys, the guys at the top of this roster, which is one of the most lopsided rosters in the league, and what I mean by that is heavy at the top, star players, star power, taking up a big chunk of salary cap, which means the rest of the roster is filled up with lesser players. When you've got Bosa and Slater and Herbert and Allen banged up, you're talking about, you know, that's four of the mm-hmm. the, the seven or eight star players on your roster. The rest of the the rest of the bottom of the roster isn't good enough to to rise raise the tides, I guess. Now they even mentioned JC Jackson. No, yeah, JC yeah. Jackson already missed time too. Now the irony is their opponent this week, Houston, I would argue, is the exact oppo of the stars. It's just uh, a nice you know, undervalued squad of non-superstars. I think a nice, you're saying that very nicely. <laughs> Another way to say it would be it's the least talented roster in the league or like one of the least talented rosters There's in the league. It's no- the island the misfit toys. It kind of is. And like when you're talking about, well, Brandon Cooks, if Brandon Cooks can just get going, like if Brandon Cooks is the key to your team, you're just not a very talented team. But we knew that about the Texans coming in. It's it, not like the Texans are going to lose five guys and suddenly lose four points in power Yes, ratings. The Texans have a ton of replaceable parts. Yes. They're like Legos. You lose a Lego, you just reach into the box and grab one that's shaped kind of the same, you plug it in. I it's, thought exactly the same thing about this game. So I, I project, and this I'm going to get to my best bet in this game, I project that the Legos, if you were, are going to score <laughs> 17 to 20 points. I think... You know what? They're going to have some success against this banged-up, you know, Charger defense. They're going to so. get twenty. Oh, twenty's a lot, but okay. We'll go twenty. We'll go nineteen. What eighteen? I think it's it's a it's a, it's a pretty small corridor. I'm pretty confident about that. What I'm not confident is how the Chargers' offense is going to function if it's going to function. And here's where I'm going. I'm going to play a two-team correlated parlay. I think the Chargers' offense is completely compromised now with all these injuries to the line. To the skill position players, quarterback's not 100%. I'm going to parlay the Houston Crumbums, the Houston Legos, plus the five with under 44 and a half. Yeah, what's in, if you remember this game from last year, I, I laughed at the idea that they could score 20 points, but if you remember, the, the Texans won this game 41 to 29 mm. last oh, I year. Remember. It ruined my, uh, ruined my AFC championship ticket for, oh. for the uh, Chargers. Because and the Chargers going into the week before against the Kansas City Chiefs, had an opportunity to win that game against the Chiefs. They would have swept the season series with the Chiefs. They would have been in first place in the AFC West and in the running for the number one overall seed in the AFC playoffs. Instead, they lose to the Chiefs and then lose to the Texans, and it all comes down to the final week of the season, and they lose to the Raiders. What about what about the playoffs, Mr. Wonka? The playoffs? P- playoffs? He doesn't, he doesn't get them. He 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 stole. Uh, he let his opponent steal game after game, so he gets nothing. Nothing. You lose, sir. <laughs> Good day, sir. All right, one college football game of note tonight. I say of note because it's the only F- FBS versus FBS game on the board. Utah State at number nineteen, BYU. I imagine Utah State fans consider this game a rivalry. I imagine BYU fans try to pretend like they don't know who Utah State is. Mm -hmm. Either way, you are looking at BYU as a 24-point favorite. The total on this game is 60, and a lot of sharp money coming in on the under in this game. And I, 
I've not been a part of it because my original thought was I was going to look for a BYU team total over 42.5. I, I don't know if I'm going to have the guts to make this play, but Utah's Utah State's defense is really rough right now, and BYU a very efficient offense right now. They, they are the second-best pass-blocking team in the country, 23rd in pass success against a Utah State defense that is just dreadful in every pass-stopping category. And on top of that, BYU and Utah State both in the top 60 in plays per – or, excuse me, seconds per play. So these are t- typically some fast-paced teams. And I say when I say team total, Utah State going fast just means – BYU gets the ball back faster, mm-hmm. gets more opportunities. That's why I was looking at a team total here. You have any take on this game? It's the battle for the wagon wheel, the old wagon wheel. Uh, these two schools are two hours away from each other, uh, so it's a quick drive. Uh, BYU bounced back nicely after that loss to Oregon. Um, and I was shocked because I had BYU in that game. I think we both did. We had BYU yep. in the contest. Uh, but they bounced back. They put up 38 points against Wyoming. I think they're going to score a ton here against uh, Utah State, and I don't think Utah State is going to score much. So I think this is a BYU runaway victory. Uh, my only concern is BYU's got Notre Dame on deck, uh, actually here in Las Vegas. So if BYU was going to tinker with their offense, toy, or if they were going to be – vanilla uh, and try to not put much on film, I could see them doing that in this game, that there's almost no chance that they lose. I think this Notre Dame game is a lot bigger to BYU. But given with a the, little bit of a rivalry, I can see them running up the score. Given the circumstances, if you did lean towards the over or team total over for BYU, would you not look towards the first half, given the Notre Dame scheduling And this situation? is why Fez sits in on the show with yeah. us. That's what I'm talking about, Fez. Look at you. Let me pull up that number, and that could be a way for us to, to get at this thing. They don't bring me in for my good looks, boys. <laughs> 21 and a half. Let's go ahead and lock that in. Over 21 and a half points in the first half for BYU. Uh, add that to my card for the day. So BYU is 100% scoring 28 points in the first half. Well, there we go. They're going to score 14 in the first quarter, and then... Maybe 17 in the second quarter. I'm going to go with 96% in the first half they score over uh, over this, but I'm not going to go 100. I'm going to give myself a little wiggle room, well, but I still feel good about it. The Cowboys' probability of making the playoffs at under 2% after they lost week one, so I'm going to be a little more careful with my, <laughs> my 2% or under evaluation. First half total is 31. So if we think BYU scores over 21, does Utah State get 10 in the first half? I don't know. I don't want anything to do with Utah. Thirty-one's a really cheap. Um, it's a really low first half for a, a a high spread game that's lined at sixty. BYU is minus fourteen in the first half. Yeah, I think this team total is the way to go. I I, I really do because I I don't want anything to do with Utah State's offense. I think if they if BYU is gonna is gonna be on fire, it'll be early in the it's game. It's gonna be like a twenty-four-seven first half. That works for me. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, BYU against Utah State as the Cougars. Look to improve to 4-1 and one on the season. Before we get to the look ahead and set the schedule here for Thursday, some news in the UFC. AJ, explain what the heck is Dana White doing here? He said he wants to give the media a weekend off. I, I, I'm, I don't know what's going on with the media. Dana. actually had a weekend off last weekend when there was no UFC event, uh, and media was disinvited to the Apex this weekend myself included, uh, where UFC Vegas was happening. Mackenzie Dern, the headliner yesterday at the press conference, I don't know if she let this slip 
intentionally if she wasn't supposed to, but she said Mark Zuckerberg rented out the entire arena. There's been <laughs> there's been rumors that there there's some sort of a deal in the works for Meta Universe to to have some sort of a virtual reality type thing going on with, with the UFC. I imagine this is sort of a test run of that whatever kind of what whatever the future holds for viewing MMA. Uh, I'm guessing that's what they're working on this weekend. But no fans allowed, no media allowed. A very odd thing. And if you've and I know most people haven't been to a fight at the UFC Apex. It's very odd to begin with. I love it because there's about 200 people in the entire arena. That's cool. And it's it's a very intimate setting. But it, then sometimes you think, man, it's really weird that these fights are happening in front of almost no one. I imagine that's odd for the fighters because a lot of these guys are very high-level fighters who have main-evented fights like in big arenas. Now they're fighting in front of 200 people. I imagine this weekend fighting in front of absolutely it's gonna be like no one. Fights. It's going to be very odd. Like the COVID fights or yep. Fight Island or whatever. That or Dana White's Contender Series yeah. where it's basically your corner's there and that's it. Where we, we go for – what's the guy's name? Bopo. Bo, Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel. Yeah, but you know what? Even even at those fights. I like the under and Bo Nickel fights. I, I'm on cashed, right baby. Now. Cashed. Bo Nickel just sounds like a Texas 5A quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> but even in those dancing or those Dana White contender series fights, there's media in attendance. Mm-hmm. So this is just it's gonna be an odd event. I'm eager to see what it looks like on television. Well, let's get to uh what's coming up here on Thursday. It's time for the look ahead. Lots of day baseball today. We get things started with the White Sox at the Twins. Chicago minus 120 with Lucas Giolito on the mound for the South. I like Siders. the way you say that. Giolito. I pronounce it correctly. Uh, the Royals are at the Tigers. Detroit minus 135. Eduardo Rodriguez on the hill for Detroit. And Jonathan Heasley going for Kansas City. The Orioles are at the Red Sox. Nathan Yavaldi gets the ball for Boston. They're minus 160. Time is running out on the Orioles. They are four and a half games back of the Mariners for the third and final wild card spot in the American League. Uh, Baltimore will counter with Mike Bauman getting the start for them. The Phillies are at the Cubs. Ranger Suarez gets the start for Philly. They have dropped two straight to Chicago now, and they have just a half game lead on the Brewers for the third wild card spot. In the National League, Philly minus 190. The Rays are at the Guardians. Jeffrey Springs going for Tampa. Cal Quantrill for Cleveland. That is an even spread with a total of seven. The Rays right now are a half game up on Seattle for the third wild card. Why is that important? Well, the top two wild cards will face each other in the wild card series. The third wild card will travel to the three seed in the American League, which right now is the Cleveland Guardians. So this is a potential first-round series preview. The Marlins are at the Brewers. Eric Lauer goes from Milwaukee. I mentioned Milwaukee being a half game back of Philly for the third wild card in the National League. And Braxton Garrett gets the start for Miami. Quick question on the Brewers. They've won 13 out of 20. This was a team at the All-Star break that was neck and neck with the Cardinals. Terrible start to the second half. Is this a bye team right now? Clearly, they were talented enough to hang. Do, do we think the way they've played down the stretch here 
is going to propel them into the playoffs. Quite possibly. Philly's dropped uh, seven of their last ten games, so Philly had a chance to lock up this wild card spot. Brewers just feel like they're, they're playing so much better right now than the Phillies. It, it feels like the Brewers, may, there may be some value on that. And they don't have to play anybody now that they're done with St. Louis, right? they got to have a cupcake schedule to end the season. Well, they have this series here going up against Miami. Miami and then the Arizona. Three games against Arizona, and uh, probably going to have to face Zach Gallon in that Arizona series. So we'll find out what's going on with Milwaukee over the next couple of days. Cole Irvin gets the start for the A's going up against the Angels in Anaheim. Shohei Otani making what is likely his final start of the 2022 season. Otani 14 and 8 on the year with a 247 ERA. Angels minus MVP. 260. MVP. Just kidding. You spelled Aaron Judge wrong. Uh, <laughs> the Dodgers take on the Padres. Andrew Haney goes for the Dodgers. Sean Manaya for the Padres. Sean Manaya, one of the worst first five pitchers in all of baseball. So keep that in mind. Does that mean you're one of the worst pitchers? Period. Eh, quite possibly. <laughs> yeah. When you're a starting pitcher and you really suck in the first five innings, it usually doesn't mean very good things for you. Seven and nine with a five point two three ERA on the season. The Rangers are at the Mariners. Uh, John Gray gets to start for Texas. Marco Gonzalez for Seattle. Seattle minus one twenty, as I mentioned before. Four and a half games up on the Orioles for the third and final wild card spot. And the Rockies are at the Giants. Carlos Rodon goes for San Francisco. They are minus two twenty five favorites over the Rockies. Ryan Feltner goes. For Colorado. Doesn't feel like Colorado's won a game in about a month. We already gave you the preview of the Thursday night football games, both in the NFL and in college football. For more college football breakdown, download the Dream Preview College Football Edition. AJ and I recorded that earlier this week. And for all the NFL breakdowns, the rated bets, the crossfires, we had a bunch of what double dips, triple dips, and two crossfires on the Dream Pod. You want to make sure you download that RJ Bell's Dream Preview available right here on this very podcast feed. And if you want to buy any package from any pro on pregame.com, maybe it's Steve Fezzik's package because that's a good one. He's on fire. What up 90 something units this year? Yeah, I don't pay. Yeah, 97 units. Not, Just yeah, 90, yeah, not 90 yeah, something. Counting? I think you you said 90 something, 97. Yeah, 97. Def, def, def. Definitely 97. Definitely 97. Well, we got a discount for you. Listeners of this podcast get a special promo code. If you go to pregame.com, you type in the promo code Vegas20. It's going to give you 20% off. That's for listeners of this podcast only, and it's good through next Tuesday. So we'll throw this this promo out. Go on pregame.com. Any package you want to get, 20% off. Use the code Vegas20. For A.J. Hoffman and Steve Fezzik, I'm Scott Seidenberg. Have a great Thursday, and we'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Straight Out of Vegas AM.